Hello and welcome to episode six of my education podcast, in which I interview great figures from the world of education uh, from the last few decades. This particular podcast is with Nigel Talbot Rice, uh, who many have told me was the great prep school headmaster in the 70s, 80s and 90s, and really set quite a template uh, for the rest of the sector. He was actually my own headmaster too, and certainly you'll pick up in the interview the level of uh, awe, uh, if not of uh, outright terror, I still uh, found that I retained for him uh, when I saw him again after so many years. We talked about his journey into teaching. We also talk about the difference between prep schools uh, when he started to prep schools today. Uh, I tried to delve into his educational philosophy, what he believed to be really important. And we talk about his approach to behaviour, academics, um, and actually, you know, what comes out is just how important he thought um, the religious aspect of what he was trying to do was, uh, and also how, how important the financial aspect of being a prep school headmaster was too. Uh, I hope you enjoy it. I found that um, partly as a result of my um, uh, my status as a former pupil of his imposed some restraints in the intimacy with which I could ask the questions, but I hope we overcame them and certainly his reflections were fascinating um, and enjoyable to listen to. Thank you very much to him for giving up his time to do it. Uh, thank you also to Dougal Gray uh, of the band Juno Dream, who supplies the great jingle coming up. I should say just before then that uh, the sound quality is uh, by far the most dubious of the six episodes so far, resulting from having to do the interview in Nigel's hotel. Uh, it starts better than it ends, uh, and I hope you can just uh, bear with it. Thanks very much, and look forward to hearing what you think. Thanks. Bye. Yeah, that'd be great. The question that I certainly don't know the answer to myself is what you did before Summerfields. You were headmaster right. there for 22 years, is that right? Correct, you've done your homework well. <laughs> uh, what was the story before is that? Is it on now? Yes. Oh, right. yeah. <laughs> it suddenly goes on. Uh, the story before that, I, when I left Oxford, I'd done three years doing a degree like people do, and I, I wanted to get on and get a job. So I got a job at Papplewick at Ascot. Yes. Uh, ran it through somebody. Did you go on in any of the Christian camps at all? No. But I was aware of them happening. Yeah. Anyway, I, I used to go on a, uh, the junior Swanage one, uh, as in those days you were called officers. Right. Um, I think they're called leaders now. So they would take and, graduates and, from Oxford to go and run them, would they? Yeah. Yeah. A chap called John Edison, who. who uh, Rarely was very. He used to go around prep schools preaching a lot. Right. He he was brilliant, and and uh, I was in touch with him, and he uh, suggested Papplewick, and uh, so I went there. Nineteen sixty-one September. In what capacity? As supposedly, originally, it came that I was going to be head of history at Papplewick, because the head of history was leaving to teach history at Bradfield. 
So straight out of Oxford, you were appointed head of history, just like that? Yeah, but I mean, right. that's nothing. <laughs> anyway, I'm you know, quite glad to say that actually it didn't come to fruition, because Michael Kidson, who became a famous speaker, he uh, did not get the job fell through at, at um, Bradfield, because the chap wasn't leaving or wasn't going on, whatever. So I didn't get that job, and I was asked to teach maths to which I said, sorry, I can't teach maths, I've done it since O-level, no. And correspondence with my head went on, I think we had two or three exchanges of letters, and then I thought, well, hold on, I better, you know, it's my first job, you can't be too hoity-toity about it. So I agreed to do junior maths, like sort of first and second forms. Mm. So that started me off, I did one form of history. Had you always wanted to be a teacher when you were at yes. university? Before that, right. I'll go back. Actually, yeah. this is not all. I remember at Isaac Charterhouse, you were at Harry, Isaac Charterhouse, and I um, <clears throat> remember my housemaster coming in to study. I think I must have been in the lower six, because I can remember the, where the study was, which meant it was the under six. And he said, Paul Rice, what do you, it wasn't Nigel, you know, Paul Rice, what do you want to do in life? Have you any ideas? And I said, yes, I think I want to be a prep school master. I didn't want, of course, I wanted to be a headmaster, but 18-year-olds say I wanted to be a prep school headmaster. So I um, said that to him, and he said, oh, can't you think of anything better to do? I thought that was extraordinary. He was not a very inspiring housemaster, perfectly nice. I never had any nastiness from him, but just rather uninspiring. Anyway, that did not put me off going into prep school teaching, and all through my time at Oxford, I had this sort of back of my mind, mm. but I was open-minded that if, while I was at Oxford, something came up that took me away from uh, teaching in a prep school, I would follow that. Mm. Nothing did. And in our little gang in Eisen Christchurch, um, about six of us or so, I was one of, I think, three who actually knew what they were going to do when they'd finished their finals. Mm. Mm. June, they didn't have to get anything straight away. Anyway. Was that because you had such a great experience of prep school yourself? What had planted that seed? Not particularly that. No, I, I much enjoy these camps that mm, I've mm. been an officer on. Um, and I just, it was just something, mm. I don't think it was in, sort of in my blood. I don't think my father, who was some, in the city, was frightfully impressed. But he didn't, he never objected. He was the senior partner of Smith and Williamson. Yes, heard of, them. of course, yes. Williamson mm. was my grandfather. Right. So, Dad was the son-in-law uh, son of the original, one of the original partners. So, being a prep school master then was, had a certain cachet, but was still deemed not quite... Oh, yeah, I mean, yes. Did. I, mean, I don't know how much cachet it had, actually, <laughs> to be quite honest. But I went to Papelwick, I did three years there, and I always say I learned how not to be a headmaster there. Because Peter Natural Hugerson, a very nice, charming man, certainly full of charm, but he really um, sort of ran the school from, well, I don't quite know where, his <laughs> Bentley that he had then. He left it to us, and I, in the three years there, became quite a sort of, there were older masters, mm. but quite a senior master, um, house master, and that sort of thing. And uh, I, I remember thinking, you know, if I'm going to be a headmaster, I'm going to be a hands-on headmaster, mm -hmm. not 
one who very, he was so distant, didn't So I then went to Summerfields. First and that was under I, Pat Savage, was it? Yeah. First time I went there was in December 64. Right. To meet him and uh, the ogre and He was known, known as the ogre. Pat what? Marston. Pat Marston was, okay, right. It's the ogre. He, his, um, he was married to Purdy Marston, who was the granddaughter of Mrs. McLaren. So she, it was in the family, in the family yeah. although they didn't have any, any money in the school. Was he an ogre to staff as well as no, boys? No, no, no. <laughs> he, he, I think the ideal thing had been that he would be taking over the school, school after the war. But sadly, he became an alcoholic and um, a serious alcoholic. By the time I got to Sartfields, um, he'd largely overcome that. He would drink ginger beer and uh, uh, keep off. Because mm. once you, if you're an alcoholic, once you start on that, um, you have a drink, that's it. Um, so what was the culture like in the 60s at Sartfields? Well, um, is there any sugar, please? Sugar? Uh, and it was obviously different. It was, I mean, the teacher. What teaching would strike a, a contemporary parent or teacher as the most remarkable well, I think thing about compare it? to the modern day, mm. or, or when I was headmaster, the, the, the teaching was very sort of rote minded yes. and. and um, not ter terribly inspiring. I mean, there were, there were good teachers, obviously, like Jimmy Bell and people, well, and others, mm. David Kidmay and so on. Um, but it was unimaginative, mm. and it was people who'd gone in to teach, possibly because they couldn't do anything else, or some of them. <laughs> uh, um, not very inspiring, rarely. And uh, I that remember stage, this, there were 20 pages of school rules, which slightly typified what Yes. It was like in those days. You might get that now because of health and safety. But different sorts, But I yeah. remember myself and one or two others, we formed a little committee with Pat Savage's approval to uh, try and abbreviate the school rules down to one page, one side. And we did, you know, we got it. Mm. The first thing was, above all, use common sense or something like right. that. Right, yes, and, yes. But, but they had, really, it was ridiculous. Mm. Mm. And uh, it was a, a less homely atmosphere. Mm. I introduced tutors, and that's what I'm trying to make the thing smaller. So parents were kept even more at bay, were they? Oh, much more. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I kept them at bay to a certain extent, <laughs> but, but not to the extent. <laughs> and um, uh, no, it was you know, parents were a necessary evil. In fact, one of the predecessors, I think, was it John Evans who quoted? Parents are a necessary evil. <laughs> um, Did you, by that stage, have a, a theory of education, either through your dip ed or Pathelwick? Had you begun to formulate what you thought was important? In well, education? through my time at Pathelwick, um, I became quite not keen on the maths, but quite keen on teaching. Mm. I always taught the slower aspects, not the scholars. I never taught the scholars, and um, I had some quite. Have some boast, but some successful common entrance results mm. both at Pathelwick and so forth. So, going back to when I started that first year, I was take, taking the sort of junior forms. In the second year at Pathelwick, I was taking common entrance. Mm. And over that year, and 
first year, and I sort of retaught myself. Right, that, you know, right, right. Not what a fraction was. <laughs> right, all things like numerator and denominator and so on. Mm. So, I, and in a way, that helped to be able to get it over because you yeah. reabsorbed it, not going back to your own school days. But it's interesting that you didn't like the look of rote learning when you first arrived. Was that, where I, did that I, come from? I won't say I didn't like the name. I think yeah. rote learning has its part yeah. to play very definitely. And I think those sort of um, modernists who wanted to get rid of it, mm. education suffered. Yes. Um, you know, particularly in the state schools where they, they gave up rote learning. But you've got to have a balance. So, you know, this now I think you've got to learn your tables. Yeah. And by learning your tables, you'll be able to do better mental arithmetic. Yeah. And you've got to learn your Latin grammar and that sort of thing. But mm. it, it, it's, that's only a small part of it. Yeah. And uh, so I, I'm not against rate learning. Yeah. But uh, there was far too much mm. dependence on, you know, the history was taught by a great sort of list of dates. And yes. Harold Hart. <coughs> yep. So w would you describe yourself as almost a progressive when you first arrived? Well, I don't think I'd ever be described as a pro progressive. It's certainly or a, uh, a little bit more modern a than South yeah. because having been at Patelik in New School, mm. at Summerfields, things were very much, that's the way we've done it for years, and we'll go on doing it for that decades, way. Yeah. And I do remember Pat Savage very politely saying to me after about a year that, Nigel, I think we've heard enough about Patelik. <laughs> I, I, you know, at Papplewee we used to do this. <laughs> dot, dot, dot. In a so I, I took the hint and tried, mm. tried not to um, make quite such a thing of it. So you made head after about ten years um, at the school? Well, it, it was interesting. I was going to buy a school. Oh, right. Um, St. Pyron's at Maidenhead. I'd be I a multi-millionaire multi <laughs> if I had, because it had... Gosh, how interesting. 15 acres or 13 acres of prime... Yes land there so if, if the school had failed so I think to give you its value they sold um, oh, quite so while I was still headmaster they sold was it three or four acres for some ridiculous millions of pounds right I can't remember if it was three million or nine million but it was something you know a, a so lot you knew of money. from I mean that you were, must have been in your twenties at that stage, were you? Uh, were you? No, because no. I um, I was born in thirty eight, so um, we married in sixty eight, right? And lived out at Ensham, and I started after a year or a year and a half of marriage to look at. Okay. So there were a number of schools John and I looked at, right? Um, and it sort of narrowed down to St. Pyrrhons, and I told Pat Savage. Was that because you wanted to lead a school or because you wanted to own a school, do you think? Um, good question. I suppose a combination of both. I mean, I think uh, and Nick Aldridge was, was going to be in with me on it. And right. I remember we had a, um, a night down in, in Gloucestershire at, um, in Broadway. What's the famous hotel in Broadway? The Ligon Arms, that's right. Uh, so St. Byron's was the, was the one, it was a thriving. Summerfields used to play them. Um, not a bad school at all. Mm. I wouldn't say it was a first division prep school, but it was certainly in the second division, depending on how long the divisions are and nearer <laughs> the top of it. Um, so, anyway, I remember well in, in the drawing room at Summerfields, the end of coffee, everybody was out of the room, and I said, Pat, I think I ought to let you know that you may be hearing from. 
live at St. Pirates because I'm negotiating to buy it. That sort of set off a train of things because he said, oh, that's a great shame because there's nobody here who I think could succeed me. Um, and he was very keen that his successor should come from within the school, as he had. Yes. Summerfield had never appointed from outside. Robin Van Thornhill was the first one, and that was because one or two of the governors thought they ought to get away from this. Right. Uh, which was, of course, in the end a mistake, but that's another story. Mm. Um, so he talked to the chairman of governors, and it was quite a sort of prolonged thing. I mean, I, I progressed with... Um, and I was going to buy some parents for £100,000, which my trust from Grandfather Williamson just had a buck enough. Um, so you think of that 100000 and if one had been a businessman and wanted to sell up after 20 years, that would have turned into millions. But I wasn't in teaching to make millions. No. Um, anyway, cutting a long story short, uh, various suggestions continued along the lines, I don't think it's in any there. <coughs> and it was suggested that I should be appointed assistant headmaster. Right. And this was in 1970, stroke 71, so it went on. <coughs> so in Lent 71, it was announced to the staff that I was going to be appointed assistant headmaster. Do you think that would have happened anyway, or was it just accelerated? I don't by, know. Yeah. I really don't know. Mm. <coughs> I don't think he'd sort of thought Got that, that far. far. Yeah. And... Um, uh, there was a staff meeting and the chairman of the governors came round to say this was happening. <coughs> and I was told after a sort of deathly hush. <laughs> sure. So when you were... So that, if, I think it was, that was in March 71 that it became official. Um, I said I wanted to build a house which I paid for but the school had to pay back. Right. Beach house... <coughs> cost £26,000 in 1971-72. This was an assistant headmaster's house, was it? Well, the idea was that it would become the headmaster, because there was no headmaster's house. They'd all been bachelors. Um, Pat lived in Little Cottage, but his predecessor had always been in Cottage, or in, like, John Evans in the main house. Yes. You know, bachelor accommodation. Yes. He and I were very different. He he was a... liberalised the school mm. a lot from the previous regime, which was the cane, the cane, the cane. It was still right. a bit the cane, but not anything like as bad. The cane uh, was outlawed in 85, was yes, it? Yes, I, I felt it was ridiculous to right. have state schools banning it, and we couldn't. Mm. Mm. I'd used it, and when I look back, I think really, what good did it do? But it was the ultimate one, which for some boys was quite a good thing. Um, I mean, a telling off from you was probably worse than a cane, <laughs> if I remember correctly. So, um, <laughs> when you were taking over in '75, what were the key areas that you most wanted to put your mark on? I'm just thinking, was it academics? Was it... Well, it was a mix of all, yeah. in a way, you know, because mm. um, first of all, I, as I say, I introduced the, the um, tutorial system. So yeah. that every boy had one person they could go to. An ally. Um, yeah. I, uh, it was a very bachelor establishment. Very bachelor. I was the first married headmaster for 36 years when right. I became headmaster in 75. 
And what were the peculiar problems with that? Well, you, in a prep school 8 to 13, particularly at the younger end, you want the female whatever. Yeah. You probably won't, I'm sure you wouldn't remember it, but my last day, at, well, sports day, when we had that big thing, mm. these parachutists came down. Yes, I do those, remember that, yes. Right. Yeah. Well, I said, I hadn't got any great long-winded, high-powered speech to make, but I did say one thing which I think amused people. Um, when I became headmaster, it was a very bachelor establishment, and um, over the years, it changed. And first of all, I found I was running a marriage bureau. You know, a lot of people, Henry Phillips, Mark Johnson, etc., all getting engaged and married to females, either matrons or on the staff, like Jane Butler or Jane Johnson. Um, then I found I was uh, having run a, very much a bachelor school to start with, a, a marriage bureau. We were getting plenty of women. And then I found I was running a fertility clinic because they were all producing children. So we went and somebody said, well, you weren't much of an example having five children. <laughs> but there we were. Um, that, the, the main changes, I think, were uh, one to uh, sort of move the school. Well, my aim when I took over, I said, not publicly, but quite to myself, I want to prepare the school for the 21st century. Right. And the school was always in debt. Um, and uh, my, when Pat retired in 1975, the accounts for that year showed uh, a deficit of £2,000. Mm. That's not a lot of money, but 2000 then was much, much more than you know, Indeed. now. It does and seem that it had not made a profit. Yeah, yeah. Um, so that was those two things. One, prepare it in all aspects for the 21st century including across the buildings, because there's been yeah. hardly any yeah. building done since the uh, earlier part of the, the, the 21st, 20th century. Um, it seems that capital development and fundraising was a, a huge part of what you did then go on to achieve at the school. Well, I think, the, the yes, I mean, one, once you start a bit of building, you identify, yeah, I mean, the staff didn't have their own classroom, mm. so you move, staff moved around. The boys, if you were in middle 5B, you had a middle 5B classroom. Okay. And the staff would uh, would come to you, come and visit you, yeah. And uh, you couldn't set up your own, you know, if you were mm. teaching maths and you wanted lots of interesting posters, or that sort of thing, or history. Mm. That none of that was possible. Mm. So it was it was pretty mm. outdated. So all that um, one changed pretty rapidly by moving it into not straight away because there weren't the rooms, but that was one of the reasons why we built the first Bolton block which was really the first thing I did, I think. Yeah, I built beach highs, yeah. Uh, so you had some space in the ground. So that made eight new yeah. classrooms. Did you enjoy that quite pragmatic fundraising part of the role? Hmm. I know you went on after Summerfields to keep on working in fundraising and... Um, sort I, of I got a reputation, I think. Mm. Because Actually, the parents at Sunfields have been so generous. Um, by the way, for the microphone, I'm eating something. That's why it sounds so funny. Um, so yeah, I, it was rewarding to, to, to achieve what we did. Yeah. I never found it easy asking people. There are some people who, you know, 
Tampan races him. Perhaps they say exactly what they want from that person. Right, Mr. Ewing, I think uh, we'd like 25,000 from you. Um, no. But going back to your question, um, what else do we have? Um, I'm just trying to think. Ease on the discipline, uh, in a way, make it. You know, there were some people who, in it's, it's still carried on. You know, you just, anybody did some a boy did something to annoy you, go and get the blackboard. Yeah, um, and the one who persisted more than anybody else on that was old Willie Pryor, who, um, an addict. I I had him in the end. Not not right at the end. He had a classroom in in Bolton, but. In the sort of earlier stage, I had him teaching near the study, and you'd hear the, the um, Willie Bates you know, roaring. And, and um, of course, I knew that he really wasn't actually meaning it as he did. But there were little boys who obviously didn't have to say, you know, some potato, it, it's a prior bait, or piggy, piggy days, you call him. In your day, it was piggy pirat, yep, definitely. He was. Um, and he, he was a very trigger happy with the black books, I remember that. <laughs> <laughs> he was. And I would, I got the stage of saying, um, when a boy came to the study, um, wanted the black book, Mr. Pryor said, Mr. Black Pryor, so I would go back and tell, tell Mr. Pryor that the red light was on, you couldn't come in. And so, by the time he got back, um, so Willie did calm down a bit in the end. Just on that particular re recollection, was the traffic light system your own innovation or did that precede you? Yeah, that was Pat Savage's right. brilliant idea. Yeah. Um, so that was insane. So evocative. I think a lot of Summerfieldians would just remember those lights. <laughs> yes. <laughs> but, but about I didn't that. use them yeah. much. Um, and I didn't. Pat, well, Pat used them a bit more because he didn't like being stern. Mm. So the mm. red could be on, but not all the time. Red, yellow, green, yes. Discipline um, seemed such a finely developed system at Summerfield, and I think being able to incentivize behavior just through reds and blues and then with a black book, I mean, was that something that you worked on yourself or did you inherit that system? Um, yeah, the reds and the blues existed, but not to such an extent, I think. I mean, there were more blues right. than reds, yeah. really. Um, and the reds were mainly for work, yeah. not not yeah. for other things. Yeah. And so were the blues, actually, mainly for that. Um, what do you think that says about young boys, that they'll be, they, they can be sort of nudged in various directions just by these small little dollops of praise? I think certain boys can certainly yeah. be considered, but the others, it, it's... No, yeah. like water off a duck's back. Yeah. Really. Yeah. I mean, no, no, nobody minds uh, having the reds, but some others. What's the blue mean anymore? Does it doesn't really matter? Um, so yeah. Um, it's, it's interesting that you inherited a stricter school than you, you than the, the one that you then well, you left behind. Well, it was a rather petty. Yeah. School, yeah. You know, yeah. The, the twenty pages of school rules. Mm. You could be had for just by doing any little thing, you know. Oh, have a, you know, that, that's a blue or, or whatever, or minus mark. Yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I, I'm always told, people have said, in a nice way, you ran a tight ship. Yes, yeah. But I think you're running a school like some of and with the parents in there, you've got to be, it's got to be fairly tight. Yeah. And I irritated some, I mean, fairly early on, I remember, um, some boy, some father, wanted his son to do something how he finished common entrance. Mm. And I, I said no, he was really crossed. He, he was, the boy was going to, uh, to Radley and he, 
the father got Dennis Silk to get in touch. And I said, Dennis, you know, once I let one go off and do this game, you know, look, there's a lot they enjoy in the last Absolutely. period after conventions. So I, I was quite, and also when I took over, there was a list of boys who couldn't have their hair cut at school. On religious grounds? No, no, no. no. <laughs> on on See, <laughs> pure pride of, you know, I like long hair. And in the, in the sort of late 60s, early 70s, um, long hair, even with eight to 13 year olds, you know, thing. So I, I made that quite clear that I was not um, going to have that. You couldn't have it. So, you know, have your hair cut at home and at Levi's, mm. and if you don't, then you'll be taken over the road. Well, yes, it, uh, we'll take them to one of the hairdressers. Yes. There were plenty of them in, in summertime. So, um, we Do you remember making any conscious compromises to parents if they petition you for particular exceptions? Or your, your general rule was, I'm going to run this school, and if you want to have your son at the school, you will... Mm obey the rules just like your, your children will. Yeah, I mean, yeah. I think so. within, yeah, I, I do think science is a bit of a martinet. Though, <laughs> but, um, I think we had to have clear and consistent sort of mm. guidelines or whatever. Yeah. Um, parents, I think, parents at Sarnfields were particularly delightful. Yeah. On the whole. There's always an <laughs> exception. And just... On that, again, it, in the years after I retired, people would say, "Do you miss it?" And I said, "Yes, I miss. Particularly, I miss the boys, and I miss most of the staff, and I miss most of the parents." Mm -hmm. And and that, that sums it up. I mean, I could count the parents who were irritating on, on probably one hand. But they always remained, even over the 22 years, a small percentage. Oh, very small. Yeah. Very, very small. small. Yeah. Yeah. What about hiring teachers? It's great to hear about some of the best teachers that you work with. And well, it's much easier now because of the internet. You've um, it, in a way, the most important job, mm. headmaster, amongst other things, is, is recruiting good staff. And it took time over the years. You can't, I mean, unless you're going to do what Richard Morgan did at, at Radley, is get rid of people full stop. Um, we didn't have you, you the didn't funds like, to do that. You didn't like that policy? Well, no. I mean, I, I, the one or two I would have probably got rid of, but one tried to do was to improve their... Mm. jazz them up and say, look... Yeah. And I would get... I think I better not mention any names. Yeah. I'd get complaints about X or Y's teaching, and, and um, so I would have X or Y's, and that... Just telling them that there had been complaints... Um, We've bucked them up a bit. I think uh, it yeah. did, yeah. Although, quite honestly, you, somebody who's not a brilliant teacher can't be made into one by, by telling them that. Um, Who are some of the best that you work with? Or best employed? Teachers. Yeah. Charles Churchill with his French teaching, which was, was quite, uh, uh, some people would say, old-fashioned, but rarely, and that's for a very, yeah. rarely good. Nick Aldridge, of course, John Mayle, they were inspiring teachers. Um, I'm just trying to think. Uh, what do you think a young teacher in their 20s could And Mark Johnson, yeah. you know, the youngest staff. Yeah. Uh, 
What would I say? What, what, what could a young teacher in their 20s learn from one of those four about how to inspire? Well, I think you've got to have, hmm. innately, you, you've got to have one, the desire to teach uh, and really be keen on imparting the knowledge, whatever it might be. Um, and to a certain extent, you're born with the gift or yeah. you've got that gift. Um, you can't, as I said just a few moments ago, you can't turn somebody who is not going to be a good teacher yeah. into. But you can learn and pick up a lot over the, over the time. Um, and I think now, because the whole teaching is, is wider outlook, you, you do get people with more flair um, able to use their own flair rather than having to be too rigid along certain lines. Yes, yes. Um, I think at this age level there are certain people, Nick was one, who would definitely in, inspire X or Y. Um, it's more in the public school age, I think, that you get the, the, the real, this chap Michael Kidson, who yes. I took over from. Just read the book. Have you? Yes. Yeah, I'm yes. quoted in that. Oh, yes, yes. Um, now, he became particularly baffled. He, he, he was good. He, he, he was very good. But he wasn't, obviously, so inspiring as he became at Eton. Yeah, yeah. Because at Eton, he, he had the older boys, particularly sort of their last three years. Mm. Um, and uh, he, he rarely was on their side. He was a, he was a very good teacher. Um, but in his own particular way. Yeah. Um, but there are more people now who've been brought up with more inspiring teaching, which has made them yeah. more inspiring. You know. And I'm, who am I missing out? Um, there are plenty of other teachers who are really good. Mr. Um, Bush, Mr. Bishop. Yes, yes, and, and, and Christian yeah. Heinrich. Um, in there, but they were all so much more um, sympathetic as teachers, not yeah. going, as I say, by the, the old talk. Talk and talk, or yeah. talk and talk. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, where else do we go? Um, well, it'd be good to hear. You mentioned earlier about your Christian camps. How important was chapel in your role as a head? Yes. Now that's an interesting one. I mean, I I took over Summerfields, um, very bachelor, and very high church. All the, the one thing I didn't do because I knew it would be I, Nick would be so cross if I'd given out an edict stop all this ridiculous cross, yeah. you know, because as they would go out of chapel they would turn and, and because all the when that little boy went there but all the older boys would be doing that they probably thought it was the thing to do they would have um, evening as well as morning chapel they'd have evening chapel four days a week I think Mondays, Tuesdays, Thursdays, Fridays. I swapped that straight yeah, away. Yeah. Quite honestly. Um, Do you think Sunday chapel is just sh should always be there in a prep school as a kind of rootedness for the? Well, week? I think in a in a boarding prep school. Yes. Yeah. I do, but I mean, maybe I'm old-fashioned. I've brought up going to church, and, mm. and uh, you know, for a lot of them, it's the only teaching of, of, of the Christian gospel that they, they will get. Absolutely. If, if it's yeah. done properly. Yeah. Uh, Fred and Suska, I think, because I was quite. Sort of pushy at that stage. After five years, they found they felt that they would like to go and retire properly, so yep. they did. Because um, I was expecting people to work harder than they used to work. Mm. No doubt about that. Mm. The standards 
improved, but um, you know, it wasn't a not that but you could get away with minimum, really. You know, not, no, there were certain staff who would never take anything yep. home in the evening to correct or anything like that. It's a slightly um, corny question, but did you feel that you were a born leader? It sounds like you'd always... No, I didn't, no, 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 no. I don't, I don't think I am a born leader, really. But, you said um, you ran a tight ship. What, what did you learn about... Can we finish on the... Of course, of course, yeah. Christian side, yeah. Christian yeah. side. So after that, um, it was um, Fergus Cappy. He was... Did you come across him? No. Just Brian Gadd, yeah. Fergus, uh, Joanna... Used to take the children to St Michael at the Northgate. I don't quite know why not St Andrews, which is much closer. St Andrews, Linton Road, where we go now. And uh, Fergus Cappy was at Wycliffe Hall and was um, doing his sort of teaching practice, so to speak, with, with the vicar there. And anyway. Uh, she said, why didn't I approach Fergus when he was getting towards the end of him? Mm. So, Wycliffe Hall is, is evangelical theological college, and Fergus was evangelical, but he gradually became, whether it was Summerfields, but I appointed him, and, uh, yes, it continued the bringing down to earth, mm. um, but yeah. It, it, I think now it's probably continued further. I don't know. There isn't a chaplain now. Um, and I would guess they're not going to, unless yeah. somebody came who was really good. Because they had somebody who, uh, Robin had somebody who was a bit of a disaster. Certainly, I would have liked to have perhaps gone a bit further. Um, I, well, where we go to church now, um, they're not often robed, the clergy. Mm. And that's our son-in-law married to our third daughter, Becca. He very seldom, he's a vicar of a parish up in Preston, very seldom wears mm. robes. Mm. I still like that. And yeah. I like hymns, um, although the camps one had choruses. And that yeah. Sort of thing. yeah. Um, I, I certainly, and there were some good choruses. I... I think I was a mix of ancient and modern. <laughs> See what I mean? Yes. Because that prayer book, I felt we needed something and produced that with um, Fergus and, and David Langdon and put in prayers. And I still use it, funnily enough. Right. I use the prayer book um, I, on the Council of Luke's Hospital and we start with a prayer. And they asked me to do it. And so I'm reading prayers from there. I, I had, with the aid of Ferguson, I'm not sure David so much, but certainly we, you know, we chose the prayers we put in there. Um, and I think that was uh, good. And certainly the whole chapel was lively. But um, it probably wasn't preaching the gospel quite enough. Getting, I used to get prep school heads on. And they were more Practical. Well, they they were they, they, they were trying in a way to yeah. sell their own schools. Yes. Not that they were yeah. doing that yeah. as a sermon, but um, a lot of them wouldn't have been Christians actually. No. So um, that was chapel, and it, I think generally became uh, livelier. You know, they used to have too many sung Eucharists. 
will turn it suddenly into a sub Eucharist or Matins um, or even so on. <coughs> and I think, in a way, I think it was a good thing that we were traditional, that's why I say ancient mm. and modern, mm. traditional with things like the form of Matins and even so on. I remember talking about saying to, to our son in law, or Becker, actually, when we were staying up there for New Year, is it going to be Matins? And he said, What on earth are you talking about? Matins. <laughs> um, what, what sort of moral failings would a tip, you know, eight to 13 year old boys typically manifest that most need moral instruction, do you think? And I suppose that the, the worst or, or the most um, frequent would be bullying, yeah. unpleasantness. Um, and one would could chapel have, help aid in the correction I'm of that? I'm not sure that it, mm. it, it should have more uh, than it yeah. possibly did. I don't know. Yeah. Um, do unto others as you have done unto yourself. Quite. I'm not sure. I only preached twice. I, I that, that's where I was a bit shy about my own Christian belief. I didn't. I'd never been brought up to sort of expand the gospel. But, yeah. Um, uh, yeah. Mm. So, you know, if I if I was head now, I'd be getting more um, preaching of the gospel, explaining of the gospel, yeah. preaching, as well as the good old Bible stories. I mean, I probably taught you divinity in your first year. Yes. And uh, my whole aim there was actually to get children who probably hardly heard of the Bible understanding. The good old Old Testament stories, as yes. well as, as the New Testament. So, yeah. so, if you were taking over a school this year, what would be the changes you'd want to bring in in 2018? I mean, <laughs> you're asking an almost 80-year-old. Um, <laughs> I mean, do, do you think single sex has had its day? Do you think boarding's had its day? Do you think? I don't think boarding's had had its day. No. I mean, a lot of schools were having difficulty getting eight-year-old boarders when I retired. Yeah, but when I retired, I was turning away in 1997. I was turning away HO borders. Yeah, because we got the reputation you know, built up on it. I'm going to have a sip of water. Yes. I'm sort of interested to whether you think new times require new methods, and whether the boarding prep school will you know, survive over the next few decades. Well, I think what is interesting, if I, um, I suppose this is being a bit political, not political, but um, Ludgrove and Cot Hill are still getting, although not probably quite as easy, they're still getting the atrial borders. Yeah. So what's the sort of distinctive opportunity that a prep school could offer parents today that they couldn't get? At a London Day School, or oh, flexible. well, I would say. I mean, that, from that point of view, we got a lot of prospective parents coming from London. As, as what my parents were exactly, yeah. and I would say to the mothers, you've got to be unselfish. You see, we, all that we've got on offer here. This, I tend to say this at the end. All that we've got. You think in London, if you're going to achieve anything. <coughs> quarter of that, you're going to be in the car driving him here, there and everywhere. Um, you've got it all of them. We're much more parent-friendly. You can go out every, leave out every three weeks. 
and yeah. credit system which I introduced meant yes. that the yes. contact come to matches and I felt the matches were all very well uh, if you were in teams then your parents would come so that's why I introduced them credit said that people could go home or go overnight on a double credit and I think that that helped it was a matter of being aware of the market and maintaining remember we built up uh, after two or three years as no, it must be a bit longer, but there was an article about schools in the weekend Telegraph magazine. Sarsfields was the in school. And then another article years later, this is where networking begins, again referring to Sarsfields. And I think our best recruits were, of course, through the parents. Thanks. Bye.